Well, if you're visiting with us, we do or have been looking through the five untils of Scripture. Well, there's a lot more untils in Scripture than five, but five that relate to the children of Israel and to the church. Um, <clears throat> it's been... This is the fifth week. Sorry, this is the sixth week. We're doubling up a week on the last one. Uh, we won't go th through explaining all, but just mention the till of disper dis dispersion of Israel. <clears throat> Jesus said, I'll go to my place till they acknowledge their offence. And they haven't done that yet. And so they're still dispersed. Uh, they're back there in pretty good numbers, half of them back in Israel. There's the until of desolation in Matthew 23. Behold, your house is left to you desolate until you say, oh, I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth till ye say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And there was the until of domination, Gentile domination, trodden down by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And then the till, until of restoration and regeneration and restitution. Whom the heavens receive, the Lord Jesus, to, until the time of restitution of all things. And he's not come back yet. Things have not been restored as they will be. And then last week we looked at the first part of Romans chapter 11. The until of the completion of the church that we have in our reading. And you might turn there and be following us following with us in that passage and other portions from Old Testament. In verse 25 there, I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, unless ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in, until the church is complete, the fullness of the Gentiles come in, and Christ's body is as he planted it to be in eternity past, then the, the Jews are going to be out dispersed and hunted around, and there's many terrible things yet to happen to that country. But um, he's talking here to brethren, Christians, in verse 25, brethren. He's talking to ignorant brethren. It is very sad that as we look around the church today, there's a lot of people of ignorant of this, what he's talking about here. Now, you'd never want to be called an ignoramus, would we? But the Bible does call those that will not believe what's been said here to be ignorant of this mystery. Lest ye be wise... In your own conceit, wise in your own, a conceited person, wise in their own conceits. They think they know and they don't know. And that is the conceit that's talked about here, that blindness in part has happened to Israel. They're partially blind. They have the veil on them until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. And so this is where we are. I trust you're able to sort of catch up. This is the sixth sermon in this series. Last week we looked at the first half of chapter 11. We saw God's plan requires the grace of God. His saving grace, verse 1, and then his selecting grace. Uh, <clears throat> selecting Israel in the past as his mouthpiece to the world to spread the good news of God and uh, salvation in him. And 
the selection of the church at present elected to do a job. Are we doing what God wants us to do? Are we spreading the good news of the gospel? I pray that we are. That's what the church has been put here for. Israel failed in doing that. They compromised, they apostatized, and they weren't doing what God wanted. And God, in Romans 11, said he what? Broke them off. He broke them off. And then he put the church in. He grafted the church in. Cut at an angle. Cut the other bit at an angle. <laughs> no, not quite. But that's what you do when you graft. And the rootstock. If you've, got a, if you've got a tree in your yard, it's got a big knob on the bottom or somewhere up at a little bit. Uh, standard roses and things like that. You'll see where the graft's been put in if you know what to look for. It's usually got a, a lump there. And when you do a graft, if you've, if you've tried one, it's, it's simple. You should try and say, well, I can do that. <laughs> but you put it together so it's matching or budding. Budding, take off a bud of the tree you're on, slicing just under the bark and slip a bud from another tree that you want to grow on it into there. And then you wrap it. You get all the air out of it. <laughs> or you can you wax it. You can pour wax on it to seal it so it doesn't... And uh, <clears throat> the graft will take well if you do that and it's it's pretty tough it's strong god has grafted us in aren't you glad aren't you glad that we didn't have to go through all those problems that the jews went through to get the oracles of god thousand plus years where they were receiving the the old testament they got the new testament for us too aren't you glad that the jews did a good job at it Aren't you glad for the scribes? Are you thankful to God for the scribes of Old and New Testament that did a, an exact job? If they, would, if they were making a copy, a scribe was making a copy of the Bible, they didn't have printing presses, and they made one jot wrong, they would screw up the whole thing and start again. They didn't have a typewriter. They did it all by hand. And so today we have the Word of God. And if you've read about the Dead Sea Scrolls, you know, People say, oh, it's all changed over time. They, dig up the, they get the Dead Sea Scrolls from the Qumran Caves, just above the Dead Sea there. And in the, we saw the caves that they got. They had an arrow in that cave over there. Well, that's where they found them. And it was a shepherd threw a rock in there and heard something break, glass jar, I mean clay jar, and um, got it out. Here the Dead Sea And they're exactly the same as the Isaiah we have in our Bible. Nothing different. And people, oh, could it be so? <laughs> the liberal people, those critical people of the scriptures, trying to criticize them, they couldn't believe it. It was so accurate that we have today. Praise God <laughs> for that. So they were broken off. Church has been grafted in. But as the Lord Jesus said plainly in this portion of scripture <laughs> regarding the Jews, and the church, the church, if it continues not and it starts boasting against Israel, can be broken off. And folk, churches everywhere boast against Israel. Not fair to Israel. Not true to God. If they do that, they're treading on God's toes. They're poking, as it were, their eye, their finger in his eye. Because Israel is the apple of his eye. And that is a dangerous thing to do. But churches everywhere saying, no, it's done with. 
we've replaced Israel. That's the boasting, and we shouldn't do that. We, we are inviting the Lord's condemnation on our own lives, and we can be broken off, and one day we'll be gone. <laughs> and then, praise God, that we don't have to go through what they will go through after we're gone. It, we think coronavirus is bad. Sunday school picnic, folks, <laughs> read the book of Revelation. And I'm just reading some a bit there last night. I've got some materials where ever I sit, I pick up and read, and there it was saying, you know, we, we, we think it's bad. This is nothing. In Sunday school picnic, as we say, a walk in the park. For what is going to come, there'll be... For buying a loaf of bread, you'll have to do a, a day's wages. That's what it says. All the services will be out. All the things we've come to rely on. You know, we used to be able to grow vegetables. We've all forgot them. Some of us haven't. <laughs> a lot of us have forgotten, haven't we? How to do those sort of things. Have you tried lately? Have your own chooks. Milk your own cow. Get the cream off the top. Make the butter. That happened in our house. Boil the copper. No hot water service. All, all those things, you know, get the hot water out of the bottom of the copper, take it into the bath, tip it in. Now six kids go through that bath. <laughs> who, who had it like that? <laughs> oh, good. There's a few of us around. And if you were last in the bath, it wasn't real clean. <laughs> and so the three boys had to go through last. The girls got it first. <laughs> but <clears throat> that's what it'll, and it'll be bad because people will not be adjusted to it. People in big cities, what are they going to do? Where are they going to get their food from? There's going to be mass starvation, all these things. And the Jewish people in that time are going to somehow find their physical strength, 144,000 plus the ones get saved from them, to go around the world preaching the gospel. They have a determination because when they get right, when a Jew gets right with God, there's no stopping a Jew. That's just the way they are. That, I think when we meet Abraham, I think you'll find his character is going to be like that. That's why probably God chose him to start the nation. So <clears throat> the old saying that's said by my uncle years ago, this hiatus, <laughs> that's what he used in the... God's plan and work with Israel. It's, there's, a, there's a gap in between when he said, you're out of here, <clears throat> you're cursed, you've not done the job, the church has started, and there's a hiatus in the middle. And uh, we, we are in that period of time where the church is doing God's work. But <clears throat> he also used to say, if plain sense makes common sense, seek no other sense for all other sense is nonsense. And I think it's a good saying when particularly you come to Romans 11. I think if I asked someone who was not a Christian, never read the Bible, to read Romans 11 and tell me what that means, you know, explain what that means. Give them a bit of context to, to where you've got it. Some good competition there. <laughs> but put it in the context so that they understand a bit and say, now, well, what do you think? 
read that. Who's it talking about? Just give them some few pointers and then read through it. They would be able to explain it better than a lot of theologians because they wouldn't have a preconceived idea that they're trying to prove when they come to it. Just read it as it is. Um, Don't add to Scripture. Is there a severe warning to those that add, alter, change, or take away from Scripture? Yes, there is. In the last book, in the last chapter of the book of the Bible, in, in Revelation 22, 18, it says, I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add... By changing the scripture, you're adding or t- unto these things or take away from these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And that's pretty severe. You read Revelation. So don't take away and don't add to the book of the prophecy. God shall take away his part out of the book of life. And we've already looked at the book of life there some months ago and out of the holy city from the things which are written in it. I think it's deadly, it's dangerous. Speaking of our spiritual life there, <clears throat> we negate the promises, the eternal promises of God to Israel, even unto the church, and say that God cannot be trusted. And that's a dangerous thing to do. Well, we get into where we are <clears throat> in Romans chapter 11, verse 26 now, and moving forward. And so all Israel shall be saved. It didn't say church, it said Israel. And don't try to change it to make it mean the church. All Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer. Who is that? The Lord Jesus Christ. And he shall turn away ungodliness from the church, some say. No, Jacob. Plain sense makes common sense. Don't try to read something else into it. And change or add to or take from the word. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall future take away their sins. And now it's been read, but let's just pray and then we'll look at these thoughts. Heavenly Father, I pray that you you would be exalted today. Your word would be lifted up and that people would see the Lord Jesus in all his glory. Lord, it's not us. It's not about us. It's about the Lord and his plan for people. And I pray that we'd get ourselves in the right perspective, that we would see who we are. And thank you for that you even considered us and gave your son to be our saviour, dying on the cross. And bless the understanding of these scriptures to our hearts. Lord, let's not come with what we might like the Bible to say and change it but let us come to the bible and let it change us this morning for we ask and pray in jesus name amen last time we (laughs) concluded with the gatherings of god or one point from that we're moving over that and maybe another time look at that but we're looking at god's plan refers to the guarantee of God in verse 27 and 28. This is my covenant unto them. And verse 26. I shall take away their sins. God's promise. Israel's blindness at present is a temporary condition. One day their eyes will be opened. And what a day it will be. But life from the dead, as verse 15 of chapter 11 says so. Um, <clears throat> In the meantime, God is calling out a church 
for anyone that will come. Let's turn to Luke chapter 14. Luke's Gospel chapter 14 and see. In verse 16, one of the parables the Lord Jesus gave, he said, And he said unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many. And he sent his servants at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they with one consent began to make excuse. The first said this, another said in verse 19, and another said, I've married a wife, cannot come. So that servant came in verse 21 and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house being angry. What, what upsets God? <laughs> what gets God angry when people refuse his invitation? He said to the servants, go quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring here the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded. And yet, and yet there is. <laughs> Remember the song, I don't know if it's in our hymn book. There's room at the cross for you. Is that in our hymn book? There's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. <laughs> there's room at the cross for you. And the Lord is saying, I've done everything. You know, I've, uh, Israel, I've invited you and invited you through the prophets of the Old Testament. You can read about it. <laughs> we can read about it. But you wouldn't come. You've made excuses. Is it any different in our world today? The gospel goes out. Hey, listen, we've sent tracks out two times over to all of Albury. Tens of thousands have been invited. There's still room for more. There's still room to come. And, and what are they all saying? I'm mowing my lawn. You hear that? <laughs> that was forbidden in our country not long ago. You weren't allowed to mow your lawn on Sunday. It's probably still an offence, but people do it. Um, <clears throat> I can hear that football being kicked around too and the soccer ball all the excuses which one day when people get into eternity they'll be so sorry that they wasted their life on such trivial matters when the most important thing was to meet the Lord at his house as the word was preached and God is angry that he has done this for Israel. He's doing it for the church, and yet they say no. And, and, and it upsets us too. You've invited people. It's, it's like <clears throat> having a special dinner that you've invited someone to, you know, maybe a birthday or, or Christmas dinner or, or, or um, a special function, an anniversary, and they ring up at the last minute when you've got all the food, you've... It's half cooked, the, lamb, the leg of lamb's there. It's got all the herbs and spices on it. And, oh, Brother Frank, you don't like lamb, do you? Sorry. Ah, beef. <laughs> Sorry. I found that out privately. <laughs> now it's public. <laughs> but it's all ready. The roast potatoes are just being turned. The roast carrots are just being turned. And then, then they ring up, no, I can't come. No, I can't come. And all of a sudden you're left with all this food. And that's, what, that's literally what has happened to, with Israel and, and with the church. And he's still beckoning people to come. Come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy laden, and I would give you rest. I'm not preaching on this. <laughs> Just supposed to be reading it. 
And the Lord said, go out and compel them to come in. Oh, there is room for all. There was room for Israel and they refused to come. They did this. They did the system. They kept the rituals. They had the readings. They wail at the wall, at the Western Wailing Wall, you know, doing this and putting prayers in. But they haven't come. They say they're coming, but they haven't come. Christians on mass are meeting in Western churches today, and it's all ritual. All smoke. <laughs> you know? And it's just not what God wants. He wants them each of us personally to come to the Lord. We can see the, dev- the father's desire to fill his house and, and, and there's another parable and they're repeated in different gospels in Matthew 21. <clears throat> in Matthew 21, we read there where he spoke another parable in a certain householder who planted a vineyard and hedged it about and digged a winepress in it and he built a tower he leased it out to husbandmen, to farmers, and the, he went into a far country. He, he, he went back to heaven. He did it for Israel. He's done it for the church. And <clears throat> he's leased it out to us. We have the responsibility of the farm, his farm on earth of harvesting souls. And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits of it. And they treated them roughly. They killed some of them. And at last he said, I'd send my son. In verse 37, they'll reverence my son. But they what? They killed the son. They killed the Lord Jesus. They cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. When the Lord therefore of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? Uh, They say, this is the answer of the crowd to the Lord Jesus, he will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen. You know, speaking to Jews, the church hasn't started, and he's talking to the Jews. And they answered that back to him. Did ye never read, in verse 42, the stone which the builders rejected? That is, the Lord Jesus, the stone whom the builders, Israel, rejected, is become the head of the corner. And then down at the end, in verse 45, when the chief priests and Pharisees heard this, the penny dropped. No, it doesn't say that. <laughs> when they heard this parable, they perceived that he spoke of them. This who, was, who it's talking about to Israel. He has done this, and that's when they got real angry. They sought to lay hands on him. They feared the multitude. They may have been the ones that gave the answer in verse 41, but then they perceived, he's talking about me. <laughs> When you go to church and you hear the word preached and you feel like he's talking about me, our son-in-law, Peter, came to church here, first time, visiting from Mount Beauty. <clears throat> well, we didn't know who he was. At that, he wasn't our son-in-law then, of course. And, and Brother Weeks was preaching here for a week. And, 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 and Peter come along and... Who told him about me? <laughs> That's what he thought about the preacher. And the next night he come up, oh, Dan's been talking to that preacher about me again. And every night he thought, he's been ta- someone's been talking to that preacher about me. Listen, it's God's Holy Spirit through his word that's talking to the preacher about you. <laughs> and that's what we need to recognise. It's God knocking, not the preacher. <laughs> there's room you can come 
God is not done with these people yet. Even though they've rejected and the church is rejecting, I mean, the world is rejecting the Lord Jesus. And yes, even the church. Back to Romans 11 verse 27. For this is my covenant unto them. Unto them, the Jews, when I shall take away their sin. God brings through Paul this word covenant up. His promises. God has promised Israel. God's got covenants with Israel. He's yet to finish and to finalize. Um, <clears throat> turn to Hebrews chapter 8. There was one blessed covenant that we partake of and they can partake of. It's the new covenant. The new covenant was given in Jeremiah chapter 31 in the Old Testament. That, chap- that chapter is given to the covenant that we now speak of in Hebrews 8. In verse 6, but now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he, the Lord Jesus, is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, right next to that one I write in my Bible, what covenant? um, Don't write that. What covenant is it? (laughs) So you can write it in. Mosaic covenant. The Mosaic Covenant was a conditional covenant. If you keep my law, you will stay in the land and you will be blessed, Israel. For if the first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second, which is the new covenant. We could say New Testament. This is the new covenant, which we are partakers of. Now, who is this written to? What's the name at the top of your Bible there? Hebrews. Are are you a Hebrew? No. No. Remember, way back before they become a nation, when they went down to Egypt, that the Egyptians had no dealing with the Hebrews. It says, Hebrews, we're talking, this is written to Hebrew Christians. You can think of what they felt like. The church started, and who was it comprised of? Hebrews. All Hebrews, all all Christian Jews. 5,000, 4,000 got saved as they preached the word of God in Jerusalem. And then they were scattered about the persecution of Stephen. And they went everywhere preaching the word. These are Jews going out preaching. This is the church that started Jewish. As they went out, Gentiles were hearing the message and getting saved. Hundreds of thousands of Gentiles were coming in. And what was happening the, the, the thing was shifting from Jewish to Gentile. And what do you think these Hebrews felt like? <laughs> We've been sidelined here. <laughs> these guys are taken over. They're like a mouse plague. <laughs> All these people becoming Christians, but they're not Jews. And so Paul is writing, well, I'm sorry, I think he did, wrote Hebrews and he's writing And he's trying to encourage them. You're still part of it, folks. Don't give up. (laughs) But there's going to become less and less of you until today, even less and less Jewish Christians of the nation of Israel. And so he's, he's giving the reasons here why, you know, what's happened. And he's talking about this covenant, this new covenant. If the first covenant had been faultless in verse 7, then no place had been sought for a second covenant. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with who? The house of the church. No, no. 
the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Names the tribe there. Not Israel, ten tribes, Judah, Benjamin, the other two. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt. There we know it's the Mosaic covenant. That's when it was given in the wilderness at Sinai. Because they continued not in my covenant and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them in their hearts and I'll be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. What a day when the Jews as a nation turn back to the Lord. What's left of the nation after the tribulation. And they shall not teach every man his neighbour, every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they sh- for all shall know me. From the least to the greatest of them, the whole house of Israel will be saved. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. In that he saith a new covenant, he hath made the first old, the Mosaic covenant old, and now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. So the explanation here, go over to chapter 9 in Hebrews. He's explaining here to these Hebrew people what's going on with the old covenant. What about the law? What about Moses' law and the things that were in there and the sacrificial system? Uh, the priests and the Levites and, the tri- and Aaron and all those things that are written about in the Old Testament. Well, he's explaining. Verse 11 of chapter 9 of Hebrews. But Christ become an high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the bulls of the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean, sanctified to the puring of the fying of the flesh, there in the Old Testament, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. What is he saying here that this new covenant is based upon? It's based upon the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's based upon the blood sacrifice of the holy, harmless, sinless Son of God. His blood was shed. All those sacrifices didn't suffice. They covered the sins but didn't take them away. Let's move on because we're developing a thought here, or they, in Hebrews, the writer is, in Hebrews 10, and just getting the snippets from here, verse 1 to 4. For the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never, with those sacrifices which they offered year by year, continually make the comers thereof perfect. You mean to say that all that Work all the, the temple, the tabernacle, and all the tens of thousands, maybe millions of sacrifices didn't make the people that came perfect. That's what the Bible says. Their sins were not cast away as far as the east is from the west. Listen to what it says. For when then they would have not ceased to be offered if... <laughs> If they were made perfect when they offered an animal, then they didn't need to offer any more animals because the worshippers once purged should have no more consciousness of sin. 
but they weren't purged. They had a consciousness of sin and they had to keep offering sacrifices. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year on the Day of Atonement. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. That's why there was the need of the Messiah to come as the perfect Lamb of God and the perfect sacrifice. This is this new covenant. This is the basis of this new covenant. If you go down to verse 9 of chapter 10 of Hebrews, Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will. This is the Lord speaking to his Father, O God. He taketh away the first covenant that he may establish the second covenant, by which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering often the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. These Hebrews had partaken, most of them unless they were 25 years or younger, in doing those sacrifices. That's what, that was their life before the Lord Jesus come, before the new covenant was ratified by the blood of the Lord Jesus. But this man, in verse 12, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down on the right hand of God. In verse 14, for by one offering he hath perfected. Remember before in verse 1 of chapter 10, they weren't perfected. But now those under the new covenant can be perfected. <coughs> Them that are sanctified by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. So his promise is that he's going to bring a new covenant. Back in that verse in Romans eleven twenty seven, this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. This new covenant was based upon the new sacrifice, the only sacrifice. Not upon all the sacrifices of animals, but on the sacrifice of the beloved son, the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> This, there, Israel's sins under the Old Covenant were covered, not taken away. They also must come under the New Covenant to be cleansed. So his promise, he's going to bring in a New Covenant. His purpose, let's go to back in verse 28 of chapter 11 of Romans. In the present age, the Jew is the enemy of the Christian faith. They deny our Jesus, their Messiah. But God has not forgotten about them or about his plans for them. For as they were called by the Lord, that calling will be fulfilled and Israel will come to salvation through Christ Jesus as we do, by faith. And as it says in verse 26, and so all Israel shall be saved. There shall come, there shall come, <laughs> hasn't, and will, when Romans was written, the deliverer out of Zion to turn away ungodliness from them. Uh, <clears throat> their darkest day for Israel is yet to come. A terrible time of trouble and tribulation will come. When Jesus comes, he will redeem them and receive them to himself. Isaiah 25, 8 and 9. Isaiah 43, 25. Isaiah 55, verse 1 and 2 talks about come. Come to the waters and buy without money, without price. You know, they didn't have to bring an animal. They didn't have to bring a dove, uh, an ass, I mean, not an ass, a um, bullock, as we say, uh, call them today. Uh, they didn't have to bring a goat, a sheep. They, they can come, as it says in Isaiah 55, verse 1 and 2, without these things. Come and be cleansed. And that still goes out 
for the Jewish nation today. One day he will fulfill his plans on their behalf, the Lord will. One day they will come. And these verses in Romans 11 speak primarily to the nation of Israel. There is comfort in knowing that God will always, always keep his promises. He is a covenant-keeping God. I cannot emphasize that too much. He can be trusted. We can take him at his word. He will do just as he has promised to do. Romans 4.21 reads, And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able to perform. God will keep his covenant. He is covenanted. He said it here again in verse 27 to the Jewish nation. He, they will be forgiven. They will be cleansed. They will come back to the Lord. And back into Hebrews in chapter 6 and verse 13 and 14, we read this in 6, 13 and 14. <clears throat> for, when God made a, a, for when God made promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. <laughs> you see, when God made a promise... He said, I'm going to swear by this promise. I'm going to guarantee this promise. And so who can I get to guarantee this? Ah, myself. Because <laughs> there's none greater than God. I will, make, I will be the guarantee to this promise. Get the thought of this. <laughs> God's plan refers to the guarantee of God to keep his promises. If God will not keep his promise to the nation of Israel that he has covenanted to them, then we can say we can lose our salvation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We can change that too if God can't keep his promises. Whosoever believes will be saved, it said there. Well, how do you know? If you start saying the Old Testament God can't keep his promises to the nation of Israel, we can say also that he can't keep his promises and fulfill his promises to the church and to the Christian. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, what is the promise? Thou shalt be saved. That's a promise of God. If you want to disregard the promises and covenants of God to the Israelis, then you must also disregard the promises of God to the church of eternal salvation. And that's dangerous water to tread on. You're walking on thin ice. You're talking about losing your salvation. It is a terrible thing to say that. In Hebrews 6 verse 18, notice there, and this... (laughs) He said that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold on the hope that is set before us, which hope we have as an anchor to the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth into that within the veil. Listen, God has given immutable, unchangeable, irrevocable promises, and they cannot be changed to the Christian it's impossible for God to lie and we make him a liar by saying he's broken his covenants with Israel I would not like to be at judgment day 
if you've done that. God keeps his promises. You know, <clears throat> guarantor. Did Have people here ever had someone go a guarantor for them? Years ago? Good, yeah, some people. That was a richer person was able to help a poorer person and go guarantor. And some mums and dads do that for their children when they're trying to buy the house. I'll go guarantor. That means if the children default, you pay the bill. I was reading somewhere this week, I don't know if it's an article that other people have read, but it was about the guy that kept on... Yeah, somewhere, wasn't it? You've read it <laughs> this week. But I remember when I bought the first bulldozer... <laughs> My dad didn't go guarantor. He gave me the money. That's pretty good. And he, he said, there's a farm up at Benella. I know where it is. <laughs> I go past it often. It's down on the... Not, not, not far from where Clinton is, actually, up the road. <laughs> or down the, down the creek, actually. Down the creek. And he said, buy that, or you can buy a, bull, I'll buy a bulldozer and you can have that. The condition was... You pay me back. He didn't go guarantor. He just gave me the money, trusting I'd be trustworthy to pay it back. Within a year, I paid it back. I chose the bulldozer, not the farm. That was just probably me. <laughs> I've seen more action with the bulldozer than with the farm, although sometimes not so. <laughs> but <clears throat> if you go guarantor, I say it's a dangerous thing to do. You better be sure you've got the money to pay the bill in case they default. God has gone guarantor for the salvation he promised us in Christ Jesus. He signed on the dotted line and said, If you believe, thou shalt be saved. And we all say, Amen to that. A few of us are saved. <laughs> I mean, didn't hear it very loud, but aren't you glad that God has guaranteed this? Because by the works of righteousness, no man can get saved. We can't get there by our own strength. We're not going to get there. We have to trust that what he has promised, he's able to perform. And we're so strong on that. We believe in eternal security, not eternal insecurity at the church here. Once you believe, you're always saved. You might sin and you might get out of fellowship. You might be unsanctified as a Christian, but you're not lost. Now... How dare we go back and say all those Old Testament people and the promises that God made to them and he went guarantor are rubbish. No. <laughs> Listen, God made a, went guarantor to, the, to Abraham to be as the stars of the heaven, his descendants, and as the sand of the sea. Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17, and over and over again to the other uh, Old Testament saints. He promised that. He signed it. He, he didn't let Abraham become a part of it. He put Abraham in a deep sleep. And God made and went the guarantor himself and he made the sacrifice. He walked between the pieces, the flaming fire, and he was the guarantor for that promise. And it hasn't happened. It hasn't been fulfilled. He went guarantor too on another promise. <clears throat> and that is the land, the Palestinian covenant that God would give them a land from the Euphrates River to the Nile River. And they've never had it, but he signed on the dotted line, you're going to have it. He's made his promise. And if you want to make them break their covenant, then 
I say, what would God do to you? Will he break his covenant with you and with the church? And the third one, the Davidic covenant, that God would send them a leader, and his name was David, and he's going to be resurrected and rule over them and reign over them again. That's all through the Old Testament. And Christ their king will be over him. And God signed on the dotted line. And look at David's lineage and look at the things he did. But God made a promise. And God's going to keep his covenant. And he's not going to break it. It's going to be fulfilled. This is my covenant back in Romans unto them. When I shall take away their sins. Concerning the gospel, they, the Jews, are enemies for your, the church's sake. But as touching election, (laughs) they're beloved. They're beloved. Guarantor signed this. He said, I love Israel. I love Israel. (laughs) I've done everything for Israel. They've given us, the church, all these words we have. All these things to preach from. For the gifts and calling of God, in verse 29, are without repentance. They're irrevocable. The promises cannot be changed. You know, when the bank comes knocking on your door and says, you went guarantor for this person, they can't pay, give us the money. If you don't give us the money, I'm going to take your house. You know, when the, the, the things are due, God will go guarantor and he will bring about his promises. I can't emphasize it. I think I need to. But enough. I can't emphasize it enough. And now the new covenant, God has gone guarantor. Anyone who believes on my son shall be saved. We're very glad of that. (laughs) We ought to be glad for Israel too. That one day the Lord who signed the deed to be guarantor will bring them back to himself. God's plan reveals the glory of God in verse 33 of Romans 11. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How pleased Paul was that he got this revelation in the book of Romans. The Spirit taught him these things. Oh, the depth. God's plan reveals the glory of God. He praised God, Paul did, for the characteristic of God's greatness in verses 33 to 34. The wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways are past finding out. Now time is gone, but these... (coughs) Praise to the glory of God that he's done this. Praise God that he's done it for us too. (laughs) He's said these things and given his promises to us. Who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counsellor? Nobody. God has decided this. Let's not try to change it. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Who hath been his counsellor? Nobody. The second thing we find here, he prays, Paul prays God for the, the second characteristic, which is his grace. Or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed to him again. Can you pay God for what he's done for you? No. It's all of his grace. Wonderful grace of Jesus. <laughs> Reaching the most defiled. All the things that we have, we owe to God. Nothing that we have, have we made ourselves. We didn't choose to be born. 
He provides for our food. He provides for our transport. He provides for our breath. He, he, he provides for our security. He provides for our salvation. And when it's all said and done, we get to heaven. He's changed our mortal body to be immortal. And we can thank him for it and will for eternity and lay our crowns at his feet because all glory belongs to God. No glory to man. No man will glory at the judgment day. It'll be all glory to God and nobody else. And for those that think they'll get up there and crow about what they've done, and you've probably thought it, I've thought it. <laughs> oh, look. <laughs> There'll be no crowing in God's presence. There'll be no, that, that's just not going to be there. You won't even dare. I mean, you won't even want to because you'll have the new body. We owe him all. Everything we have is because of the Lord Jesus. First Corinthians 4, 7. For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? <clears throat> now, if thou had received it, why dost thou glory as if thou hast not received it? You know, if you were a good looker, some, of the, some people think they are. <laughs> if, if they're good lookers, where did that come from? Who made them like that? God did. You know what they all have turned that round? Their good looks for the glory of God. Use it to have, uh, I don't know, not a fashion parade or draw people to Christ, you know. Even a lot of people that look good go into Hollywood and hell after if they don't repent of their sins. Not helped them, has it? It ought to be, praise God, that he's made me so. <laughs> Keep his commandments. Love him with all your heart because of what he has done. And lastly, the third characteristic we see here in this doxology, this closing praise of Paul to God for what he's done and, and how he's worked all this out between church, Israel, and all the peoples of the world. Praise him for his glory. Back there in, in Romans chapter 11 and verse 36. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be what? Glory for evermore. You know, whenever, when we get to heaven, going to assemble as this church, we'll be all probably in different places. Maybe we'll be, let's have a group gathering <laughs> when we get there. Laughing to Baptist Church, then we'll be off. Even husbands and wives won't be married anymore. There's no marriage in heaven, and you, that, that's hard to that, that's hard to fathom. But that's what the Bible says. And uh, there will we, we will be in eternity. And what will we we be doing? Read the Book of Revelation and honor and glory and praise. Be to Him, be to Him forever. And ever, and ever, and the four beasts say, and the 24 elders say, and all that are in heaven say, glory to the Lord, laying our crowns at his feet. This is the way Paul ended. He, he said, this is marvellous. Who could have thought of this but God? Let's praise and give him glory. This is a Jewish passage, but boy, it involves us too, doesn't it? <laughs> Let's not get broken off while we're still in the church. Let's remain grafted in. And let's pray 
let's pray for the peace of Jerusalem. When you go to Jerusalem, if you ever get there before the Lord comes, and you walk through the garden tomb, you come across a little sign that's still there. I've seen other pictures that people have taken since we've been there. It's just a little, on a steel stake, hammered into the garden. You can't miss it. You walk toward it. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Because it's going to come one day, and it's going to be wonderful. His rest, as Hebrews said, will be glorious. Glorious. Revelation 4, verse 8 to 11, speak of that glory. So whether we eat, or whether we drink, or whatever we do, to all, do all to the glory of God. This week, as we go out, use all you have to bring glory to God, because it will pay off. <laughs> it will pay off for all eternity. It will be wonderful to be in his presence. If you come to tears sometimes with this pandemic and everything and thinking of the world's people, and you weep for them for they they just not got it, they don't understand it, and they're going to be plunged into terrible tribulation. Your family who is not saved, your friends, pray, pray for them. Pray for Jerusalem, but pay, pray for your people. Witness somehow to them, share them attract. If they will listen still, share the good word of God. Pray to God persistently like the widow. Pray that they would be saved. Let's close with prayer. Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful portion of Scripture. The fullness of the Gentiles is almost in. The church is almost complete. And then the Lord will take up dealing with his people. He will come from Zion and give salvation. What a wonderful day, but what a terrible day at the same time because of the tribulation that will come upon them to, to have them to look up and be saved. Give us opportunity this week, each one of us, to testify at school or at work or at home or in our street to some unsaved soul that is ignorant of all the wonderful truths of Scripture, that they might be saved, that they might trust in the covenant, the new covenant, the covenant of blood, saved and washed in the blood of the Lamb, without which we cannot be saved, neither can the Old nor New Testament people be saved, but by the blood of the Lamb. Bless us as we go our way. May we bring all glory to the Lord down here, and when we get there, we certainly will. In Jesus' name. Amen.